Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this is a special weekend. Um, it is the weekend that we celebrate um, every year. And uh, what are we, what is it? It's our country's celebration. It's called Independence. Independence Day or Fourth of July. Did you know that it is actually a celebration of a very specific thing? Anybody want to guess what is it actually very specifically? What is it a celebration of? Signing of the Declaration of Independence. Somebody here is a history major. Good for her. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, and I think we lose that. Something. It's a celebration of America. It's a celebration of freedom. It's a cel- and, it's, and it's all those things. But honestly, what it really is, is that it's a celebration of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, I'm willing to bet that nobody in your 4th of July plans here plans to bring out a copy of the Declaration of Independence and sit down and before we eat, before we celebrate, we're going to read through this. Anybody got that on their plan? No? Somebody does. Oh, very good. Okay. Because, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It gets, there's so much stuff that gets lumped in on top of it um, that, that we kind of lose what it's really all about. And, and that's what it is. It's our, it's our Declaration of Independence. Our, and, and with that, certainly, is a celebration of our freedoms. And believe me, I love the country that I live in. I'm glad to call this. I am blessed to call this my home. And um, I certainly enjoy all of the freedoms that we do together, particularly the freedom of worship, freedom of religion. Um, I think it's a very, very important one. And it's, it's interesting in the public dialogue over the last number of years now, there's been this ongoing debate about church and state and God and government and politics and faith and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and, um, and that's not anything new. That, has, that was from the founding days of our, of our nation. But it even goes back further than that. There has always been this question about faith and politics and God and government. And what point, what place does each play in our lives? And more particularly for us as believers, as Christ followers, how do we work that out? And there's a very well-known passage in Scripture, um, and you probably have heard parts of this, but it's found in Mark chapter um, 12, if you want to turn there, uh, beginning in verse 13. It's actually a very short story, and it's found in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to read from Mark's version of it, um, and, and you might recognize it when we get down towards the end. Um, so in verse 13, it says that they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher... We know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Lost my place. Here we go. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He said, bring to me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, so... Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, the words that we all know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now, you've heard that saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, you know, and usually around tax time, we have people kind of joke about it. Well, it's my time to give to Caesar. And, and it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a well-known story and it's a well-known line. But there's some real depth there that, that if you know the history behind it a little bit, uh, and some things that I, I kind of discovered as I was researching this and studying this week, um, there's a depth to it that it's, it's, more about, it's about more than just paying taxes. 
There's some real crucial questions that they're asking him when they're presenting him with this. And it's not just about trying to trip him up. This was a real valid question um, for Jesus' time as it is for ours. And it really kind of comes to the heart. And believe me, I'm not going to promise this morning that I'm going to solve this question of church and state, church and state okay? I don't presume to be able to do that. But I think there's some real key guidelines here as we read through this passage and study it together. Um, guidelines for us as believers, as Christ followers, when it comes to our faith and it comes to our government and our country and our politics. And there's a couple of really key things that I want to go through with you this morning. The first one is this, and it's very, very important. Be careful not to confuse your faith with your politics. Because Jesus does not fit any political persuasion. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is not a Libertarian. If anything, you might say he's an independent, but that doesn't even really fit what he is. Okay? In fact, this might surprise some of you to know, God is not even an American. He's not. Jesus doesn't fit. God doesn't fit our political structures. And we have to be very, very careful about that. Because I think sometimes that line gets really blurred. And when it does, it causes problems, not only for people of faith, but it also causes problems in government and everywhere else. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit more later, but this, this whole thing idea is it's really tempting to think that God is on our side, that these are my political views, and, and I'm a Christian, so this must be all Christians' political views. And, and it just it doesn't work that way. Um, and, and, and part of what's going on here, you, you notice as you read in verse 13, it says that they sent to him some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Now, you've heard of the Pharisees and the chief priests. You've heard of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But not very often does it come up that there's this group, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And, and it's because they are, the Pharisees are not just, they're not just a religious sect. They are a political party as well. And they are, in many ways, they are the exact opposite of the Herodians. Okay, so when these two groups come together in front of Jesus, they're asking him a political question. See, the Pharisees, they were the purists. They were the separatists. They didn't like any collaboration whatsoever with Rome. Rome was, was a, an invading force. Rome was an occupying force. Rome had no jurisdiction, as far as they were concerned, over Israel, over, over any part of Israel, much less the government, but, but faith, anything. They were the separatists. They were calling for a purification of Israel, that we live by God's standards and God's law, and that's it. On the other side are the Herodians. They get their name from Herod, yeah. They were collaborators. They were sympathizers. They were the go-along to get-along or get-along to go-along or however that works, okay? These guys are like politically opposites. And so when they're coming to Jesus together, okay, First clue is, okay, this is a political thing. And it really is. And then the question that they ask, they ask, is it right to pay, and the two, today's New International Version really catches it, because this is what it is. Specifically, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now again, this isn't just a question about taxes. Because the imperial tax was a very specific tax. It wasn't the big tax. It was actually one denarius. That's what it was. And, and it was, what it was, was it was a head tax. It was a tax you paid just for the benefit of being a subject of Caesar's. Okay? This was, everybody paid this tax. Everybody was required to pay this tax. If you were part of the Roman Empire, subject or not, Roman or not, you paid this tax. 
And so it's not just because it was a big amount or was about paying taxes. It really was about whose side are you on? And that's why the Herodians and the Pharisees are arguing about this thing. That's why they bring it to Jesus. This is really a political question. They're really asking Jesus, which side do you stand on? Now, it goes even further than that because 25 years previous to this, when that tax was instituted, there was a rebellion. Men named Judas the Galilean actually instigated a rebellion against this tax because it was, now we're giving our allegiance to Rome. And, and, and in fact, here's what he did. He went through and cleansed the temple. And by the way, this comes, this question comes to Jesus just after his cleansing of the temple. So he came in, he cleansed the temple in an open revolt against Rome. He was preaching and declaring the kingdom of God. And, 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 and he's calling now for an open, now and then an open revolt. And so when they're coming to Jesus and say, okay, are you a revolutionary? Okay, are you, are you, are you like this guy? You know, you cleanse the temple and, 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 and then you're talking about the kingdom of God. Are we going to take up arms now? Are we going to throw off Rome? This, this, isn't, this isn't just about taxes. This is really a political question. And in fact, the way that they do it, the way that they ask the question, they're looking for a very simple answer because they ask the question twice. Is it right to pay the imperial taxes or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? It says, black and white, Jesus, tell us what it is. Now, they're trapping him because... Because if he sides one side politically, he's going to lose the people. And if he sides the, on the other side politically, he's going to incur the wrath of Rome. So this is really a political question. It's a political quandary. And what they want is a very straightforward black and white answer. And here's the deal. There is no simple Christian answer to political issues. Jesus won't take the bait. Because it's not that simple. When it comes to political issues, it's far more nuanced than that. It's not a black and white yes or no kind of answer. That's why you can't fit God into any one political party. Because he doesn't fit that way. You read passages of scripture, you you read the creation account in Genesis, and you would think, well, God's in the green party. (laughs) You know? And and, and then you read about, about giving and sharing, and you think, well, he's a socialist. You know? But then it comes down really hard on morality and family values. And you think, well, now he's unconservative. Which party does God fit? And what he's saying is he doesn't fit the political party. So be very, very careful not to do with Jesus what he would not do to himself. Don't try to fit God into your politics. And, and, and we do this so often. In fact, I think very often we make judgments about other people's spirituality or their lack of faith or level of faith based on their political persuasion. And, and I've heard strong conservative Christians question the salvation of their liberal Christian friends. And I've heard strong liberal Christians question how in the world can you vote conservative? Because <laughs> God doesn't fit any political party. And I think when it comes to God and politics and faith and government, be very, very careful that you don't do something that Jesus wouldn't do to himself. On many occasions, they wanted to make him king. People came, they wanted to make him king by, by default. Because, he, man, he could, he could feed the thousands, you know. He could, he could do just about anything. This is the guy we want for our king. He refused that. In fact, when he was called on his trial before Pilate, these are the words that he said to him. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
This is not my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And I think so often politically, we're asking the question, is God on our side? And that's the wrong question. I think the real question is, am I on God's side? Because it doesn't fit any particular political structure or position. And we've got to be careful not to do with Jesus what Jesus wouldn't do with himself. So when it comes to, to God and country and faith and politics, first of all, just be very, very careful that you don't confuse your politics with your faith. And there's another lesson here as the story goes on. And it's simply this, that while faith may be personal, it is not strictly private. What I mean by that is, because there's always been people who have been on this separation of church and state to say they should have nothing to do with each other, completely separate. They have no bearing one upon another. And, and from both sides of the spectrum, faith spectrum, by the way, you know, there, there are the atheists who say, you know, God should be out of every part of our government, out of every part of our anything that has to do with, with our country. But there's also those of people of faith, the Amish communities, who, who feel it's, it's a separate thing. They, they should be kept separate. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not true either. It's this complete withdrawal of God from the public arena, that's not right either. It says, whose image is this? And whose inscription? And when they say, it's, it's Caesar's. Now, let me, I got a picture of one of these denarius, okay? This is what it looks like. And on the, on the head is the head of Caesar. And the inscription, and this is what Jesus says. He says, what is the inscription on it? Not just whose image, whose icon, but whose inscription? And what the inscription read was Tiberius, well, depending on who was Caesar at the time, but this particular one says, Jesus' time, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine God Augustus, high priest. So when Jesus pulls out this coin and has him look at it, he's saying, okay, whose is this? Whose is this coin? Well, it's Caesar's coin. And so he says then, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. He said, there is a place for government. There is a place for politics. There is a place. And you don't completely separate from that. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Which for us in our day, because you know, for them, it was just what you give to Caesar is you pay your taxes. That's all you do. But for us, we live in a culture and in a society and in a country where we have much more involvement. And I think where that translates for us is that we don't keep our faith completely private, but we engage because our responsibility as believers, as Christians, is to engage in our culture, to be involved where we can be, to use our influence where we can use our influence, that we are supposed to vote. But we should vote intelligently, not just along party lines necessarily. We should think through and, and the implications as best we can. And I know that takes a lot of work because I get that ballot and it's full of so much stuff and I'm just going like, no on everything, you know? I just, it's just too much for me to figure out. I can't deal with this, you know? But to make as informed decisions as possible because you got that opportunity. And for us in this country, I think we have that responsibility. I think we have a responsibility to our faith to participate in the public arena and not just voting. 
I think everybody ought to serve on jury duty. Now, I went the first 40 years of my life just about never serving on jury duty till we moved to Benicia. And it was just like, I am called every year. I said, when do you get a break in this thing? And the first time I got called, I go, jury duty. I've never been on jury duty. I'm all, man, this is going to be so cool. I went, and I did it, and I got on the jury, and, you know, we, the trial was a two-day trial. So, oh, that was kind of cool. Then I got called again. It was like, okay. And I did that one, and then I got called again. It was like, again? <laughs> and now I look at the calendar and go, okay, how can I get away without doing this? So, you know, get at least a six-month reprieve or something, you know? But we have a responsibility to participate in the process because God is very much concerned about people and not just people as individuals. He is concerned about societies and cultures. We saw that last week. Remember what God said to to Jonah when Jonah just sat back and wanted to see if God would really bring that destruction on Nineveh? Remember what he said? Should I not be concerned with that great city? Not, should I not be just concerned with those people? Should I not be concerned with that great city who have 120, over 120,000 people? See, God cares about cultures. He cares about societies. He cares about cities. He cares about nations. And that, too, is part of our responsibility as people of faith that we should participate in the process as much as we can. Personal faith has a public responsibility to it. It shouldn't be private where it has no place in the public discourse. I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be. Sometimes we overly spiritualize the kingdom of God, but if you read the teachings of Jesus, if you read his involvement and the declarations that he made, he was very, very concerned about social matters. In fact, back in the Old Testament, it's very, very clear. God is concerned about social matters, cultural matters. He is concerned about things like justice. He's concerned about the poor. And so should we if we are his people. And I think sometimes we have gone, swung so far this way to not be so too involved in politics that we have missed God's heart because God's heart is for people and cultures and societies. Micah, the prophet, 6.8, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? That you act justly, that you love mercy, that you walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, humility. Those are the things that should concern God's people. And where we have influence and where we have a voice and where we can make a difference, we should. Now, it's not all the government's responsibility, but we, the people who have influence on our government, should use that influence however we can. And that, you've seen that historically in the civil rights movement. What was that led by? A preacher. You may not have liked his politics, but he said, this is a moral issue. <laughs> this is a moral issue. This isn't just a political issue. This is a moral issue. Jesus, excuse me, James wrote this. He said, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's saying there is, there is a public and there is a personal side of your faith. 
On the personal side, keep yourself from being polluted by this world. But on the public side, take concern for those who are in need, the widows and the orphans. We have that responsibility as people of faith. And that's part of what Jesus is saying. Remember, this isn't just about taxes. What he's saying is, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You give to the public arena what the public arena needs. You give to government what the government demands. To an extent. There's a third part to this whole thing. And it's this. Remember that ultimate power and authority rests in God alone. Ultimate authority and power belong only to God. Because that's the rest of the thing. He puts a limit on governmental authority. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He said, show me the coin. Okay, whose inscription, whose icon is on this? Well, it's Caesar's. Okay, well, then you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but you give to God what is God. He says, he didn't point out just whose picture is on this coin. What does the inscription Because the inscription calls for us to recognize Caesar as Lord, as God, as priest, the son of God. He says, no, 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 no. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but you don't give him everything. Because our ultimate authority, he is not God. He is not the son of God. He is not even the priest. You give to God that. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God you give your worship To God, you give your ultimate accountability and authority. To God and God alone do you give ultimate authority for your life. And so when those two come in conflict, those two kingdoms come into conflict, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, guess who wins? (laughs) The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. He says, yes, be the best citizens that you can be. Because that is not just your political duty. That is not just your, your um, national duty. It is your faith duty to be the very best citizen that you can in every respect. But when it comes to your ultimate authority and your ultimate accountability, that is God's alone. Don't give your worship. Don't give a divine authority to any government. Where there's conflict It's always God's kingdom that wins. So he says, love your country, sure, but don't worship it. I don't know how many baseball fans here, but something happened after um, 9-11 that um, now in the baseball games, they still do it now. It's been going on for, well, almost 10 years. Um, Now at the baseball games, at the seventh inning stretch, not only do we sing, take me out to the ball game. Have you noticed this? Anybody been to a game? Now you sing, God bless America too. In the middle of something. And, and I got mixed emotions about that. Because I think people who sing that have no idea what they're singing about, mostly. <laughs> but the other thing is, there's a, there's a sense of that that says, God bless America because we deserve it. You know? Um, almost like, um, God, we're better than the other countries, so you bless us. And, and that's not the concept of blessing whatsoever. In fact, God didn't even do that with Israel, God blessed Israel. But he always reminded them, you are blessed to be a blessing. And this is the part of blessing that we don't get right very often. And it really came home to me the first time I visited Uganda. And talking with one of the pastors there. And I'll never forget what he says to me. He said to me, he said, you know, he said, we pray that God blesses America. 
We pray that here. We pastors here in Uganda, we pray God bless America because we know that when God blesses America, America blesses us. They understand the concept of blessing. Because God does not bless any life, any individual, any country solely for the fact that you deserve it or that you get to keep it to yourself. See, there's a responsibility that comes with blessing as there is a responsibility that comes with grace like we talked about last week. There is responsibilities that comes with this stuff because it's not just grace to you so that you can be, receive God's grace to keep to yourself. It's not just that God blesses you so that you can keep God's blessing to, to hoard for yourself and to spend on yourself. It comes with responsibility. God blesses so that we would be a blessing. And, and so when we celebrate this 4th of July, we should do so with great gratitude that we indeed are a blessed country. There is, there's no way around that. With the resources, with the freedoms, with all that we enjoy in this country, there is no doubt that we are blessed. But let's not forget who the blesser is. And it's not because we're a better country than any other. In fact, God told Israel, he said, I'm doing this for you, not because you're special, not because you're better than any other people, not that you're a better country than any other country. I bless because I bless. But I bless you to be a blessing. And so, as we celebrate this weekend, let's do it with the right frame of mind. We enjoy blessings in this country like no other country that I've ever been to. But always remember, there's a blesser that gives the blessings. And it's not because we're better than any other country, although I happen to feel that way about my country. And it's not so that we could just hoard it and spend it and make ourselves richer so that we would be blessings to other people. It's really interesting. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, he wasn't just talking about, I'm a a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, somewhere else, some other place geographically. It was something deeper than that. And and it kind of comes out a little bit in this story. Um, When he asked for Denarius, he says, bring, and you kind of maybe just, you've read the story before, you just kind of skipped over it, but it kind of intrigued me. He says, bring me a Denarius and let me look at it. Meaning he didn't have one of his own. It never dawned on me. He had the bar, the kingdom, the kingdom. This king of the kingdom doesn't even have a quarter. (laughs) He borrows it from somebody else to make a point. And, and here's the thing. I think part of what, what he's, what's going on here, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think so. All of the power structures of this world, what are they? Wealth, success, influence, power. All of those things. That's the kingdom of this world. That's how the kingdom of this world operates. It operates based on success, on wealth, on, on, on influence, on, on all of these things. That's how the king, when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's not just saying it's in a different place geographically. He's saying it's a whole different power structure. Because the kingdom of this world is about wealth and hoarding and accumulating and power and success and all of these things. But he says, that's not my kingdom. I had to borrow a denarius to show you this. <laughs> Because that's not my kingdom. You want to know what the kingdom of God is about? Because it's 180 degrees 
from the kingdom of this world. And you see it in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of God. He's saying, be very, very careful that you understand my kingdom values. Because my kingdom being not of this world means it's not about wealth, and it's not about success, and it's not about power. It's something completely different. It's about mercy. It's about justice. It's about peace. So this, these are my kingdom values. And, and, and when he's saying, make sure that the kingdom of God is your kingdom. Make sure that that's the priority. I think what he's saying is be very, very careful about the power structures of this world. Because here's the thing. When the church has gotten involved too much politically and gone for the political power kind of thing, it has always turned out bad. From ancient Rome to this day, when the church starts starts operating on the world principles of power structure, it always turns out bad. Because our kingdom is not of this world. Now, We are citizens of this world. And we have that responsibility as citizens of this world. But our ultimate kingdom is the kingdom of God. And it operates on a completely different power structure. So he's saying, make sure. Make sure. Don't confuse your politics with your faith. And yes, be responsible citizens of this world, of this nation where you live. But recognize ultimately your authority is God and God alone. And his priorities and his values That's his kingdom. He said we are to be salt and light in this world. And and those are two very interesting pictures. Because salt is more of a subtle influence. In fact, when salt shows up too much, it usually makes things taste bad. It's just there to enhance everything else. But salt is kind of a a, a subtle influence. Light, on the other hand, light is pretty bright, (laughs) And he says, sometimes, sometimes for us as salt and light, sometimes our influence is subtle and personal and one-on-one with people. And sometimes we need to stand out and shine brightly. But in both cases, our responsibility is to be influence in our world, in our communities, in our kingdom. So we're going to close with prayer. And this is going to be my prayer, that we would, as we celebrate this 4th of July and the blessings that we have, that we would remember that he is our blesser. And that as we endeavor to live in this now and not yet kingdom of God, in this country that we do, that we do so with wisdom and responsibility. Scripture tells us to pray for our leaders. Whether you like their politics or not, you pray for your leaders. Because they are the people that are making decisions that chart the course of our country. They need our prayer. And my prayer is for us as a church and for the church worldwide, nationwide, to be salt and light. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.